This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Also, fellas out there, how does it, how does, how can a, how can a guy like Roger Rabbit land a girl like well, Jessica? I mean, they, she makes me laugh. Yeah, he makes me laugh. He makes me laugh. This is all personality. And it's like, she never wavers from that for a second. And it's like. No, she is, she is ride or die for Roger. But she's an animation, like in the animated world, it makes, like, you don't question it at ah, all. You've seen some very styling, bigger fellas who can make a lady laugh. They do very well. But I mean, the. The disparity between the two. <laughs> this isn't a three and a 10. Yeah. This is a negative seven and a 10. <laughs> You're on Midnight Local, the podcast from How to Drink, where we just talk about things. Movies. Uh, pop culture. Maybe some video games. That too. All the things. The things. The stuff and things. All of the stuff and the things on Midnight Local. Let's get to it. All right, Greg, let's talk about a movie that we love for a change. Oh, the joys of loving a movie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this week we're going to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. God, that movie is good. I think it's my top five. I don't know if I'd do that. Wow, that's high. I hadn't even considered that, but sure. It'd been a little while since I watched it. I forgot how much I watched this movie as a kid. Oh, yeah. How the lines, everything was just coming back to me. and. I wanted to watch it again right away after I finished it. Not amazing I feeling. love this movie. Me too. I just want to live in it. Yeah, right. Also true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the feeling, the time period, the like, it reminds me of what I used to love about Disney World as a kid. Yeah. Because it has the like timeless sure. feel. Well, I mean, place. man, we're jumping way ahead of ourselves, but like sure. there is some real direct ties between this movie and the original MGM studios as yes. like they built the theme park. Like yeah, just, um, Eddie Valiant's uh, office is there. Yes. And you, isn't there a restaurant might still have like things hanging all on top of it and like a big vat of the dip. Is that somewhere in there? Oh, or is uh, that old? No, I think that's now? still there. That's a studio something backlot restaurant, which is still there. Right. Okay. And I, I don't know about, I haven't looked at all the props in there, but there might be some of that still. Yeah. Still there. But yeah, I think that there was actually one at one time, like a plan to really have Eddie Valiant 
be a like component of the park, whether okay. he's a walk around character or something like that. And they built his office. Like you can yeah. still see where Roger cut through the blinds. The blinds. That's right. Yeah. Was a scene of this a part of the backlot tour back in the day? I remember more I remember. involvement Maybe. with the park. There were definitely props there. It makes me think of the park. Yeah, certainly. What year did this come out? Give me some facts because I don't. I'm not prepped on this. All right, let's let's set the set the scene. So release date June 22nd, 1988. Wow. But it was like a a year a year of post production. I don't know how long they shot for, but I would say it was like two a year and a half to two years of yeah. production. Uh, hour and 44 minutes. Budget was seventy million. It grossed one hundred fifty-six million in the U.S. and three hundred twenty-nine million worldwide. Mm. Director Robert Zemeckis. This is our first the big Z. Zemeckis film. Yeah, which he would have been coming off of Future, Back to the Future. All just the first one. I no, think all three. All three. Okay, so he had some uh, had some pull for sure, and like executive producer uh, Bob Gale, the boss, yes, and also Steven Spielberg and Spielberg. Uh, writers Jeffrey Price and Peter Seaman, and then Gary Wolf, who wrote <laughs> the. Yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing. I was writing it down. Oh no! And then Gary K. Wolf, who wrote the book that this is based off of, um, which is called like the censorship of Roger Rabbit or something, which was written a couple years earlier. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I that's right. I forgot that there was a book. So I had some debate in my mind about whether Roger Rabbit existed before this movie came out. Oh. Because in my mind, because I saw this movie as a kid, yes, the little pre-film that, it's not even a pre-film, it's part of the movie. Shorts. The animated sequence you see at the beginning yes. was a nod to the animated show of Roger Rabbit. Oh. I internalized that narrative in my head as a kid. Yeah. That him and Baby Herman just existed as sort of like a, a Tom and Jerry. Oh, and they like did a reboot. And that Herman. this movie was expanding upon that, which which not the case. That's how deep the, how real and deep this world feels in. in this movie. It's not the only short. There were several shorts. Yeah. Um, there's at least three Roger Rabbit shorts that were made in conjunction with this movie. Okay. Yeah. But there was nothing like pre-existing besides this. No, 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 no. Book, made for the movie. Which I know very little about. Yeah. I don't know anything about the book either. Uh, and then leads Bob Hoskins playing Bobby. Eddie Valiant. So good. Like unreal. Did so you know good. he was English? I so I did because he's Smee and Hook. Oh. I wouldn't have known off the top of my head which he was. Yeah. Uh, but what yeah, what a great accent in this movie. It kills it. Yeah. You'd never know. And then you got Christopher Lloyd as Judge Doom, possibly like also top five scariest villains from my childhood. I made my child watch this when she was too young. Oh no. How she old? has like she still has Judge Doom nightmares. Oh no. <laughs> I was like, I saw it when I was five. I went and yeah. saw it in the theater. We were used to this feeling of like, I don't know. I think yeah, I was Do you traumatized. think villains like this feel more tangible to kids because they're not really used to seeing? Because I had like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Like he feels like the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang villain to me. The guy with the long nose. Oh, wow. I don't really have a, I don't, I've seen that movie, but I don't really think Those are it. like the two from my childhood that like are seared into my Scary. brain. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. For some reason, Christopher Lloyd, because I was familiar with him in other movies, wasn't as scary to me as a kid. Well, I think that's why he's in there. Yeah. So that it's like, and by the end, when he turns into like the cartoon, it, it's a real reversal. Yeah. You really find out that this guy's not like joking around. He's not a clown. Yeah. He's fucking scary. Very scary. Yeah. yeah. And then Joanna Cassidy is Dolores. And yep. then 
I we need to mention Charles Fleischer, who does the voice of Roger Rabbit. And probably the body or who does the onset work? So he was on set. And I know that they used a lot of him as reference, mm-hmm. but uh, there was no like person in a suit that he was acting against. Right. They occasionally had a puppeteer like hold a puppet. Yeah. But a lot of times he's acting to like a robotic arm. Okay. Or nothing. Or a tennis like, ball, something for an eye line. You got to yeah, have something. Well, so sometimes they didn't. And like mm. the, his ability, Bob Hoskins' ability to like refine his exact spots yes. was something that like saved their asses in the post of this movie. Oh, wow. And like they did, they had bars, they would they would do things with a puppet for eyeline, wow. but like he was also just like uniquely suited for this role. He also took like miming classes and things like that to- You'd have to. Right, because if you look at when he handles Roger, it feels like there's a weight to it. Yeah. And when he gets pushed and moved- God, yeah, you don't that. even question it. Never. You don't even question the reality of that it's it's wild that's incredible like watching it as an adult i expected to like see through a lot of yeah no it's just there phenomenal yeah it's, <laughs> it's that's true phenomenal piece yeah of work. i mean that was my takeaway when i revisited this movie which was like i can't believe this movie exists yes i can't believe this movie exists it's a miracle that this movie exists yeah i feel like robert zemeckis is a director whom i mean he made the futures he made the back of the futures mm-hmm. and then he just was like i want to make the most impossible movie uh possible every single time he made a movie ever since then yeah with maybe the exception of um forrest gump which i hate <laughs> oh interesting oh, forrest gump i mean forrest gump is it's just a movie that exists to make boomers feel good about themselves <laughs> i can see that perspective i love that movie forrest gump is a feat in like that in like set dressing and costuming and At the yeah t- there was a lot of talk about like lieutenant dan's legs right. about inserting people into real historical that's events. exactly right yeah there was a lot of technology in that movie and it's basically invisible so yes. it was like kind of an impossible movie to make in yeah. a lot of ways at the time yeah yeah yeah. and then contact contact, oh, so is did contact? i think that's him yeah let me let me double check oh weird i didn't know that Talk about um a writer by the name of seaman uh, no contact. Yeah, he did. I'm going that. to. I'm, I'm in the. I'm scheduled to go get a vasectomy from a doctor semen. <laughs> it's not even a joke. That's uh, incredible. Yeah, that's like my uh, hall monitor in high school, Mrs. Hall. That's funny. Pretty incredible. You think when you have a name like that, you just like, well, I got to use this. I got to get into this business. Yeah, he did do contact. Okay. And we did the witches. The remake. Yeah, he did a lot of things that nobody liked. There's no question. But he didn't have to do things people liked anymore because he was Robert fucking Zemeckis. True. So uh, there's a great documentary about this film that was a DVD extra called Behind the Ears. Awesome. Is really cool to watch because it is. So my wife is a visual effects editor, also like an editor, a a picture editor. But um, she was watching this movie with me. I think she'd only seen it once. Oh, no, really? As a kid. And she was just like, her mouth was wide open the whole movie. It's impossible. How did they do it? How did they do it? It's an impossible film. And just all of the painting out of all of the things. Like, I think she was exhausted thinking about it. And listen, watching behind the ears, you really get a scope of how many techniques were invented to create this movie and just the sheer will and stamina of the people involved yep. to make it happen. Tim just never quit. 
Because yeah. I mean, there must have been every day like, we did it. We did an impossible thing today. Yeah. Tomorrow we have to do another impossible thing. Well, it's like you get through shooting and the planning to shoot. Yeah. Like there is no shot where you can put a camera in a place and say, well, we'll get this and we'll fix it later. No, you can't. There's no computer shots in this movie. Right. It's all hand-drawn animation. Yep. So if you see- And they were using optical printers. And- if you see an, an animated character sit down and the bench flies up and shoots a guy off of it. Like, they had to know that was going to happen. The choreography, the, yeah. the storyboarding. And I remember Chris Newman, who was one of our teachers at SVA, who's worked on some of the most famous movies of all time. He sure did. As he would say, just IMDb me. Um, if you want to know more about him, he was a, he was a sound, sound guy on set sound. And uh, his big problem with digital wasn't the change of the look of the medium. It was that filmmakers didn't have to plan their shots be anymore. Yeah. You could have multiple cameras. Everything became multi-cam sitcom. And yep. like this movie is a movie that when you watch it, you cannot stop thinking about the storyboards in every every shot. Dude, like, and that's, every shot. That is so at the heart of what I hate about so much cinema and especially TV, which is that like you watch a movie like this and it is everything is considered. Yeah. Whereas everything. what Chris was saying, how do we shoot this? We do an over the shoulder. We do this. Mm-hmm. You know what else you never see anymore? Two shot. You don't see two actors just working together. Yeah. For the most part. You don't really see two shots, three shot. Yeah. You know, it's all built in the edit. Anyway, I digress. No, that's true. Or you get the coverage of everything. So if you want to change it later. Oh, you yeah. Can. You can't just let the actors work. Yeah. There's no changing this later. <laughs> no. And the actors are working. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, you think about sitting at the counter. You got Dolores. You got Valiant. What's the guy with the mouthful of eggs? I forget his name. Oh, 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 yeah. The the guy in the bar who's like. That is shot. Ruffian. Primarily in a two shot, another two shot, a three shot, if I'm not mistaken, and with background extras all yeah. the t- in every shot. And there's so much life in it. Yeah. You know, like they don't make, I feel like they don't make movies like that anymore. I agree with you. The like, and like just little moments always happening. Like, oh, uh, <laughs> when they're hiding behind the counter and he grabs her from the like, from this part of her shirt and yes. brings her down. I mean, he's playing this character that is so not funny and so like such a curmudgeonly asshole of course and yet he's funny the whole movie oh yeah that's the power of being a straight man not a straight man but the straight man yeah yeah we we were talking i think i was on something on tiktok we're like kind of need a new word for that by the way we need a new word for that yeah i get what yeah i understand what you're saying but yeah that makes sense you're like you need a new way to distinguish it from modern language yeah i think we came up with like anchorman or something like that okay or yeah base reality guy well and you feel the way like we could get into the story not only is like the technical and the planning and like the storyboarding that must have gone into this but like the story is great the and what it's really about because yes. there's like other layers to this which is not subtext i get into i this drives me nuts <laughs> This drives me fucking nuts. So many people are like, oh, but the subtext of the scene is that it's really about blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, if you noticed it, it's not fucking subtext. That's not subtext. The director, it's subtext. The director doesn't know what the subtext is. Usually there's what's his, um, what's the subtext of the day the earth should still. It's the story of Jesus Christ. You know what the subtext is of like Reservoir Dogs? No. It's about the relationships between fathers and sons. Okay. Do you know how we know that? How? Because just before he went into production on it, 
somebody told, and I know this from an interview, Tarantino, have you done your subtext work? And he said, what's subtext? And he said, well, you got to do this and you look at your script and you think about what else that might, you know, whatever. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. And he said, I went and did my subtext work. I found out that the movie I was making was about fathers and sons and their relationship. And then I stopped and said, I never want to do that again because it will ruin what mm. I'm doing. I'll be, it'll, it shouldn't be in my brain when I'm making the movie. Subtext is like the very secret. That's the thing that the writer put in there that the writer was not thinking about. Yeah. It was in their subconscious. That's the subtext. It's hidden. It's not like this scene is, this is happening. I'm saying this, but I really mean that's this. That's not subtext. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, to say, and I'm getting ahead of myself, that like uh, Roger Rabbit is really about um, racism and uh, redlining and the destroying of black communities to build freeways. Right. right? And specifically about racism, not about tunes, but racism. Like, right. That's not subtext. That's theme. Yeah. That's okay. what's called theme. You know, and I mean, we all had a hard time figuring, what does that mean? We're in film school. But like, that's the difference. Right. Subtext would be, you know, like you find out that really what was on the writer's mind on this is that the, the Battle of Dunkirk is the subtext to this or, you know, French colonialism in the 1920s, like something is way over there that's like secretly in the movie. Sure. Anyway. Sorry. I know that's a thing. So I wanted you to be able to get it, get, Ooh. get it out. How Ooh, do you baby, feel? I feel so much better oh, now. Good. I'm glad. I feel a lot better. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, it's, that's just been bottled up for so long. <laughs> Had a real breakthrough here. So anyway, back to back to Roger Rabbit. Well, let's talk about what the movie's about. Because okay, we've been yeah, why don't we fawning do that? over the technical I know, I know, I can't, I can't help it, and I, I'm gonna fawn more later. We'll but fawn. let's talk about what the movie's about. Talk now, fawn later. Yeah, this movie is about Eddie Valiant, whom is a private eye in a version of 1940s Los Angeles that is populated by tunes. Movies are made. With tunes, actors whom are living cartoons that you put in front of a camera and make a cartoon with them. And they're great because they work for cheap. They can't be hurt. They can do all of their own stunts. And yeah, then, yeah they, they they don't die. They don't get tired. They can shuck and jive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is what the movie is really about. But that's not the subtext. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and, and uh, 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 somebody kills R.K. Maroon. No, Acme, Acme. Somebody kills Acme, but what's his first name? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay, Arcade yeah, Maroon is I, the studio. I, yeah, Maroon Somebody, is. He dies later. Yeah, Mr. Acme loves Toontown. Always going to the Toon live shows. Makes everything that has an Acme written on it in every cartoon you've ever seen. We also we brought this up in um in Batman, but he also has the hand buzzer. His, oh his, yeah, the hand buzzer makes an appearance in this movie as well, yeah. which I thought was funny. That, what a laugh. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. His biggest seller. Yeah. Uh, what is Acme's first name? Marvin. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. First off, I don't want to, if, if there's people who haven't like watched this movie, skip ahead because I'm going to run through the plot and it's a doozy and I love it and I don't want to ruin it for you. But <laughs> so Eddie Valiant gets hired by RK Maroon, the studio head that makes all these cartoons to go take pictures of Jessica Rabbit, Roger Rabbit's wife, because Roger thinks she's having an affair and they got to find out. If she is, he also there's another more sort of like insidious reason behind it. He's like trying to keep Roger working for him. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. 
So he goes and he goes to the Ink and Paint Club, which is a great name for a bar, uh-huh. and meets RK, uh, Marvin Acme, the jokester who makes all the Acme doodads and loves tunes. And, and then he squirts his he squirts his his shirt with invisible ink, invisible ink, is, yeah. and it, it it disappears right. Not in invisible, front of him. disappearing, disappearing ink, ink, which turns out to also be reappearing, disappearing, ink. reappearing ink. Yeah, which brilliant. Is. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, <laughs> finds out that him and uh, 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 Jessica Rabbit are playing patty cake in patty a room. Patty cake, patty cake, actual <laughs> patty cake. <laughs> In which, as far as we know, there is no climax. They just play patty cake, which <laughs> I love. Eddie Valiant is disgusted. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> They're playing patty cake. Oh, God. It's disgusting. And Roger's reaction to it is just incredible. So then Marvin Acme dies. And of course, everybody thinks Roger Rabbit did it. Because they drop a safe on his head. Right. So, Who else would do that is, but a tune? Right. Which is, and you've learned... I think at this point as well, that Eddie Valiant's brother, who used to be his co-detective, his, right. his partner. Was killed by a tune. Was killed by a tune by having a piano dropped on his head. Right. And everybody doesn't, everybody's like, a tune killed your brother. That's crazy. Tunes yeah. don't kill Which people. is why he doesn't like doing work in tune town anymore. Working he used tune. to be a much lighter, happier guy. He was. You see his photos on vacation and uh, where did they go? Oh, Catalina Island. Ca- yes. With his, with Dolores, his girlfriend, but he's now an alcoholic who can't, can't deal with the death of his brother. I also, I got to point out, I love a Disney movie where the main character is an alcoholic. Oh, heavily. Just, just heavily like a no. drunk. Yeah. yeah. Is this just, what are the studios listed in this movie? Amblin, I think. But it is a Disney film. It is a Disney film. Disney and Warner Brothers, though. Uh, they licensed the Warner Brothers character. That's what they did. Okay. I think. It wasn't like a co-production. The only like. time that we've ever seen Disney and Warner Brothers characters together on or the same you screen. Ever would, ever would. Or you ever would again. It's yeah. crazy. Um, and apparently crazy. they had to negotiate like to the second screen time. Wow. Which is why, if I'm not mistaken, somebody shows up at like the end sequence and it was like a make good to like uh, to add up the, the minutes just right. That's wild. Yeah. To make sure that it was like, you know, equal, equal, equal Jeez. time or, you know, whatever it was negotiated. Like we're going to have this many minutes. You'll have that many. Anyway, Roger Rabbit, uh, as you can tell by the name of the film is framed. Uh, and so now it becomes a quest to find out who framed him, even though Eddie Valiant doesn't want to because Roger Rabbit doesn't know who else to go to. So he handcuffs himself to Eddie Valiant. Yeah. And then we find out that Judge Doom is going around executing tunes. He wants like to. Like in a horrific nightmare. display. Nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. He just takes the shoe, d- did nothing. Yep. And just puts him into the dip. Well, you watch him slowly die. I think as he points out at one point that tunes are not citizens. They don't have rights. And that's why he can be judge, jury, and executioner. He has a reasoning for it. Yeah. It's uh-huh. a legal thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is, you know not off the mark yeah uh if we're talking about what we're talking about here and so he he executes a shoe for nothing for nothing he just murders that shoe just to show that he can the the dip works horrifying scene with the red all over that glove that he has on yeah just absolutely horrifying And and then and then you find out that the plot really involves destroying the trolley uh getting rid of the red line and building freeways yes and also because um, Marvin Acme in his will is leaving Toontown to the tunes. Yes. And they have until like midnight probate in that night for, to for someone to find the will to make that, to make that real. Yep. And so they got to find the will to save Toontown or else yes. it's going to get turned into a freeway. Exactly. And unlike in real life, they do. 
They do, yes. Yeah, because in real life, they turned it into a freeway. Right. They knocked right through it. Uh, not that Toontown is real. I want to point out that this movie is about- <laughs> Just to clarify. Just to clarify. Just in case you were worried, <laughs> Toontown was never real. But what happened was there was an event they call the Transit Massacre that occurred in LA and other parts of America, where a consortium of auto manufacturers, uh, and actually, if I'm not mistaken, like tire manufacturers and oil companies went around secretly buying up all of the mass transits, uh, particularly in LA- and then immediately putting them out of business and replacing them with freeways. So all the trolley cars and stuff like that, they went under uh, the electric street cars, all that stuff, the things that we all wish we still had, they ruined it. And yeah. the reason why all these communities are ripped in half by massive freeways um, that, you know, whole parts of cities, particularly the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The minority communities in these cities got buried under freeways all because we're literally just separated from their businesses and their homes. Yeah. Or separated. Yeah. Or I mean, like in many places you build like a four lane freeway suspended over an area, like, boy, is that going to wreck the economy? Yeah. You know? So all of that stuff. Yeah. It just was, a, it's a, a enormous part of 20th century. You know, we talk about it as being like a thing that happened once, but it was a catalyst that set off the course of all this urban development that we're still dealing with today. Yeah. In a kid's movie about cartoons working in Hollywood. <laughs> it uh, is pretty incredible. Yeah. You're talking about a movie like making statements and stuff. Well, and that stuck with me as a kid because I don't think I'd ever considered that freeways weren't always there and yep. how they got there. Yep. I think you imagine as a kid that America was this vast open space and they just built it all at once. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good learning. I learned good, it. Good thinking moment. I, I learned all that in like third grade from my friend Brad, who has wanted to be a civil engineer from the day and he was is, born. Isn't he? And he is. That's incredible. And he just is like, well, like, it was a third, third grade. grade. Yeah, not, I'm not joking either. It was just like, <laughs> you must love this movie. Greg, I'm going to tell you about the transit massacre. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like absorbed it all. I was like, wow, dude. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> Neat. Does he love this movie? We should ask him. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine. Who doesn't love Roger Rabbit? I don't know. We'll find out. Comment. Do you not love Roger Rabbit? Tell, Tell me us why, why you're wrong. Tell us why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just throw that out there for the whole world to mock. <laughs> Obviously, I'm pro Roger Rabbit. That's our review. This movie is perfect. Um, I think. Is it perfect? Is there a, a flaw? I'm searching. I don't think there's a flaw in this movie. No, I don't think so. If there is, then it's just endearing and wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a whole handful of goofs and well, I don't accidents. Mean, yeah, but I don't mean technical find, flaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a misstep. Because like a technical flaw is a technical flaw, particularly when you're reaching for the brass ring like this. No, I remember loving Dolores. Fantastic. Uh she owns her bar. No, she doesn't own the bar. She works at the bar, but he partially owns the bar. They own it together, maybe? They might. I don't know. There's like some stuff, too. They're like They're not exactly clear. Like, are they a couple? They are. For sure? Yeah. So it seems like they were going pretty hot and heavy Ooh. until <laughs> brother died. And then he just like, because she's like, when are we going to go on a trip again? Like, it's not as defined. Like, they've maybe are in a they've broken up because he just can't handle anything yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, he's depressed and all sorts of things. So she's gone about her life, but she still loves and cares for him, obviously. Yeah. But I think by the end, their reuniting is, is inevitable. She never says like, I love you. Or like, they don't have that moment, but like, I never needed it. No, I don't think you needed it. I yeah. like it being a little ambiguous. Yeah. And like, I think she wants him to come back around. She wants something to snap him out of this funk because things were going well before then. And I don't, you don't get the sense that it's like his brother's 
girlfriend before his brother died. Like the pictures no, of them uh, on the beach, they're they're very cuddly. They're sure. like together, clearly. Yeah. And happy. You still got that camera from when we went. Yeah, to exactly. Home. Still got the film in the camera. And yeah. he's going through the pictures. Yeah, like, he hadn't realizing what he's lost a little bit. Yeah. How long do you think did they mention how long it had been since his brother died in the movie? Was it like do you think it was somewhat recent? I think it was months. Yeah. Oh, months. Okay. Eh, maybe a year. I don't know because ago. someone comes in and says like you used to be Eddie Valiant. I think it was used. Yeah, that's a great line. Yeah, I know you. You're the guy that used to be yeah. Eddie Valiant. That's a great line. The movie's filled with great lines. Oh yeah, so good. Or uh, some other ones. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Yeah. Oh, my favorite I think is when he gets out of the handcuffs and he goes, "You mean to tell me that you could do that the whole time?" He says, "Not the only, uh, not the whole time. Only, only when it was funny." funny. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and I wonder, like, is that true? Is yes, it like a physical <laughs> limitation that he can't? Or does he just mean like, uh, I won't? Um, so funny story about Jessica Rabbit. Uh, it was a, a common myth amongst young boys on the schoolyard. Oh, I don't know this. Yeah, that they drew every like 36th frame of her in the nude to make her sexier. So that subconsciously there was like <laughs> hot, sexy tits in there. And so... At least guys of my generation, at least once, sat there trying to, yeah, absolutely, (laughs) trying to pause. Just going frame by frame, absolutely. (laughs) Also, fellas out there, how does it? How does? How can a? How can a guy like Roger Rabbit land a girl like Jessica? I mean, she makes me laugh. Yeah, he makes me laugh. He makes me laugh. This is all personality, and it's like she never wavers from that for a second. And it's like, no, she is, she is ride or die for Roger. But she's an animation, like in the animated world, it makes. Like you don't question it at ah, all. You've seen some very styling bigger fellas who can make a lady laugh. They do very well. But I mean the the disparity between the two. <laughs> this isn't a three and a ten. Yeah. This is a negative seven <laughs> and a ten. Like they play patty cake. That oh. is their thing. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good question. Can they take? Can she take off her clothes, or are they drawn onto her? Well, I guess they're drawn on to her. Don't we see her kind of zipping up at one point? No, there's another. That's a different. That's the woman who's like, a man oh, runs yeah, yeah. after him. Throws him out the window. Um, no, yeah. And there was lots of the, the men in the in the documentary talking about animating Jessica Rabbit. It's like they're thrilled with themselves. Hey, they should be. <laughs> They should be. But what a great, what a what a great femme fatale. And not though. The femme fatale is your undoing. Oh, true. That's true. You think she's going to be that, and then it turns at the end. This well, is a, uh, you, this... you realize at some point. It's not. But up until the point she puts him in the in the uh, trunk, you really think that that's that's true. That's where they're that's going. That's true. I can't separate that wisdom anymore. Yeah. the The thing is, is too, is that like this movie is a perfect neo noir example because in traditional noir, prior to Touch of Evil, the detective is searching for the interloper. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you're still looking for an interloper in a neo noir, but the real story is about the detective finding himself. There's not a, like a lot of growth from the beginning to an end in a traditional noir story. You know, mm-hmm. Sam Spade stays Sam Spade. He doesn't learn things. You know, Marlowe doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Um, those characters remain who they are, and they to to survive and go on and solve another mystery. But Eddie Valiant becomes a new man oh, at yeah. the end of this movie. He finds himself. And that's what the difference is between noir and neo-noir. The neo-noir detective is in search of themselves. Um, that's like a whole, I read a whole book on the theory about that. So I just spit it out. So I sound smart all the time. <laughs> it's great. I think it's it's a it's a good thing to point out here. Yeah. Anyway, it's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> Who gave him the gun? 
he has that uh, that gun and it says like from somebody yeah, it uh, does. Uh, uh, was it yosemite sam i don't know i i will we'll put a clip of it for the, yeah. for the youtube audience i think it was yosemite so that, sam and that might be my one complaint about the movie is that yosemite sam drops in with him into him and doesn't recognize him just runs away oh okay so if it was yosemite sam that bothered maybe it was somebody else well yeah we'll have to look i i i'm not gonna go searching for it okay. right now but I also, as a kid, it didn't matter who gave it to him. It was like a relic from when he yep. used to, from the good old days of working in Toontown. Right. Needed it to work in Toontown. Yes. Yeah, exactly. that gun. Although it's useless. Well, he it fires would... it once, they go the wrong way. And he's like, hey, stupid thing. He just yeah. throws it. Yeah. But I mean, also like you can't kill a tune. So like, what did they do? They probably showed up and clobbered him and like left them like dazed with like Tweety right. Birds around their head. Yeah. You I see. Lo- oh my God. Tweety Birds, you're supposed to see stars, Roger. Yeah, not <laughs> birds. And at the end, at the end of the movie, he gets hit and there's stars. He goes, I like stars. <laughs> <laughs> like every beat of this movie is perfection. So Charles Fleischer, who plays Roger Rabbit, is worth talking about a bit. Apparently, he's a very odd fellow who. Wouldn't you have to be? <laughs> well, so he required that they make him like ears and like a Roger suit and would wear it on set because that he was always on set voicing back and forth. Sure. He he came up with a gosh, it's in the documentary. He came up for with a name for their like acting by proxy almost oh, because yeah. he would do the movements sort of yeah. to stay in character. But he had to be out of the frame. But he was out of the frame. Yeah. And they were never looking at each other. But he's, you know, and there is such a flow of the dialogue that you can feel that he is acting against somebody. Sure. And I think he did a lot of ad living and stuff as well, but they ended up using his voice and actions. I, I think he ended up revoicing a lot of the character, but it was all the template for the animation. Sure. And, I mean, he was hugely influential on that character. It's so much more than just a voice actor. But I guess the guy who played Baby Herman came on set and saw him in this costume was like, I hope no one's expecting me to put on a diaper because I'm not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> what the fuck did I walk into over here? Yeah, Holy exactly. shit. He's like, it's a happening. <laughs> so, this, is some que- this is some weird shit going on. I don't know. <laughs> So I saw a video essay. I am pretty sure it was from every frame of painting pointing out how this movie, the phrase hitting the lamp comes from this movie. Okay. Which is a phrase that goes around in animation. Circles. What is it? What does that mean in animation circles? Doing the hardest possible thing. Okay. Because there's a scene when they're in the rock gut and Eddie is trying to cut through the chain on the, uh, the, the handcuffs and for no reason at all, Roger Rabbit hits his head on the lamp. So it actually happens twice. I was watching for this moment. When he walks into the room, he hits. Uh, Eddie bumps his head on the lamp, which starts the whole sequence okay. off. Yeah. Right. But then Roger hits it again. And it's such a human moment, a humanizing yeah. moment, right? Like, of course, why not? It's there. You interact, you take the cartoon, you make it interact with the environment. But what they did was, and I think that what the, the, the inside of the room when they were doing this, they knew what they were doing, that they were showing off. Because okay. now the lamp is swinging and it needs to keep swinging. And the light source on Roger Rabbit and all the animated moments are moving all the time. And they need to be drawn in a way that they match exactly what's actually happening on Bob Hoskins face mm-hmm. on the environment. 
it's hitting the lamp. We made this scene a thousand times harder than it needed to be. So now he's got a shadow to show off, moving yeah. all the time, exactly. and his and, and the light on him is moving. Every all feature the time. is moving. Everything. It's really incredible. Yeah. Like it is, it is a feat. And then at some point, Dolores like stops it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and and so I guess like one of the first things they discussed when they were talking about the animation of this movie is that before when they've done anything like this, yep. you have a shot that's still Stunning. and doesn't change in a 3D yes. moment at all. Yeah, if it, it moves, it moves on a plane. Yes, exactly. And so when they were talking to the animation director, they're like, well, it's just common wisdom that you can't be 3D. He's like, no, it's laziness that you yes. can't move. You can. Yeah. It's just double the work. It's a lot harder. Absolutely. Yeah, it's unreal. And like also on top of that, like they were trying to make Roger feel 3D by adding layers of highlights and shadows. Sure. So there's four or five different Cells layers of, of drawing. Yeah. And then ILM took all of that stuff and composited it. Oh, interesting. But I guess ILM at the time was like the biggest movie that they had done was Star Wars or one of the Star Wars, which like 350 shots. And this movie had like uh, over a thousand oh, shots. I just like that. Yeah. At the time, the biggest movie they had done was fucking Star no, Wars. No, no, no. Sorry. I, yeah. I guess my tone was weird on that. The biggest movie they'd done is Star Wars. Which and was 300 shots. Yeah. Quadruple the shots yeah, yeah, yeah. that Star Wars had that they that they yeah. were responsible for. Yeah. I wonder what the technology was. I mean, I know Zemeckis is an early user of motion control to repeat the shot mm -hmm. perfectly. Um uh, full speed motion control, I should say. Like motion control has been used in stop motion for a long time. Uh, so stuff like, um, which is, an, we should do Blade Runner. The opening shot of Blade Runner, I know a lot about, not the opening shot, but the the pull in over the city. Mm -hmm. How that was shot is fucking insane. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if they were doing an opt, anyway, I just wonder about the technology. I actually, many years ago, uh, I caught a Kickstarter or something mm -hmm. that was to take every episode, every issue of Cinefix magazine mm -hmm. and digitize them into an archive that you could have on like an iPad or something. Yeah. Um, Cinefix is like a breakdown of how this movie got made and mm -hmm. how the effects were done. And it starts the first one. Issue one was on. Um, Star Trek, the motion picture. Okay. So bizarrely, I know a lot about how all of these things were made. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. I would love to talk about Blade Runner. I've only seen it like once or twice. That's a mistake. I know. That's a mistake. I enjoy it, but I just, it hasn't been one that I've watched uh, I'd love that or grew up movie. with. I feel like when watching this movie, you can just feel like innovation in filmmaking. Yes. And I feel like we've talked about James Cameron as an innovator a lot. Oh, yeah. Robert Zemeckis, obviously George Lucas and Star Wars. It's a quality that feels like now everything is digital. So it's like what? I don't think anything is digital in this. Not they said they said in this documentary that not one shot is computer generated. Yeah. So if you really watch in the background of this movie, like they talked a lot about the um the nightclub sequence because you've got different ways that things move. So if you look at the octopus that's bartending. Mm. he's got a shaker he's shaking yep. a glass he's grabbing and he's got all these things in his hand so and then meanwhile in the background you're seeing servers animated because all of yep. the all of the servers are animated you've got betty boop pops up in there yep. and they're all walking around with trays and stuff so they stripped out the shot and we'll put a we'll put a, a piece of this in the youtube as well uh the glasses and stuff are all in wires so that's easier to paint out because it's all oh. like 
floss or whatever. I mean, to some extent, you right. might not even have to paint it out. If you light it right, you can just You can just, it. yeah, right. Especially if you're in the background. So all that stuff is moving very differently. And then the servers are all these animatronic arms with trays on them yes. that are moving around that either got drawn over or painted out. I remember seeing maybe that documentary, but it was something on TV about the making of it. Yeah. Where like seeing them move around right so what they were saying was that like there were so many little background and then you've got the the dueling pianos going and the pianos are just shaking and the chairs are just moving and so they said one of the hardest parts was trying to spot everywhere they had rigged something oh god and making sure that they hit every animation yeah Yeah. damn which (laughs) think about the work and they were printing out every frame of the dailies and that's how they were they were putting contact paper over the shots and 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 drawing over them insane that's how you do it wild that's how you do it Uh, it's just absolutely insane insane people need to decide that they all want to do this together another point that was made about this movie was the music the score is like a mix of noir and like Cartoons. Cartoons. Yeah. And then I guess how they did Jessica Rabbit's uh, background score was they just hired jazz musicians to sit and riff while she was on screen. So it's all like. Well, how else would you do it? Yeah. It's all, none of it's pre written. It's all just the emotions of the scene. Oh, her score. Yeah. Oh. I thought, I was, I thought, yeah, I was thinking about the number. I was like, well, that's interesting because like Do Right is like a song and I know it well. Oh, right. Her no, number. About, like, no, her, no, just her, score. her background score. Yeah. God, sure. now I want to watch it again and look for that. That's yeah. fucking cool. Uh, that was really cool too. Piece of stupid trivia. Okay. That's how they did the bass lines in, in um, Seinfeld. Oh yeah. It's never the same twice. Is it not? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know they'd, that. They'd shoot the episode and they'd be like, okay, we're ready for you to come in, boss. And he would just sit down and watch the episode <laughs> and do all the bass lines. I never knew that. Maybe he was on set, actually, because, you know, no, was Seinfeld live audience? No, it wasn't. Seinfeld was not um, a three camera sitcom. It was oh. one camera. Yeah. I've not watched a ton of Seinfeld. I've watched enough to know that, but. Seinfeld's pretty, it's interesting. It holds up. Seinfeld himself dated a teenager while he was making that show. Yeah. Well, he's, there's lots of stories about him and how he treats the women in his life so kind of a scumbag yeah kind of a scumbag but he's like married for a long time now oh yeah i think so maybe i made that up anyway (laughs) something about him i was trying to think of other movies that have attempted something similar to this. that's a great point on the heels of this i don't think you remember this maybe you will when i say cool world came out yes i do remember it i don't know if i've actually ever seen it but i remember the marketing for that movie i remember trying to watch it as a young person and thinking oh cool no it's not this is just a bad yeah what is it's rated r yeah i think so yeah yeah and it's like not i have to i guess i should we should revisit it because i haven't seen it really ever i kind of tried to watch it once and got really bored some Um, iconic image that i like just maybe i feel like maybe it is the poster um yeah is that brad pitt yes it is (gasps) i didn't know that early brad pitt film yeah but he's like in a full animated world and i if i'm not mistaken it's a fantasy world it's not like oh these are real things like it's just a fantasy world that he made up that is the image i'm thinking of i think Oh my God. Yeah. I I really remember the marketing for this movie. I think I probably thought at this age that this was just like a, a genre of movies. This is just like yes. something that people did. Yeah. Human animated films. Yeah. I mean, Disney has a great tradition of doing these. In fact, they were the first things that Disney made before it was 
before Mickey Mouse even existed, they were making what was called the Alice movies, okay. which were short films about a girl named Alice who interacted with cartoons. And they were very primitive by modern standards, but they were pretty groundbreaking for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they were making that at like, what was the name of the, the, the St. Louis Vitagraph company or whatever, like before they went to California and made Disney and then mm-hmm. they kept making them at Disney. Um, and then, um, you know, Disney films that incorporated human live action animated segments. Um, one of my favorite movies is, uh, it's a package film actually is, um, the three Caballeros mm-hmm. has a phenomenal human animated sequence. Is several. Um, is that before or after Song of the South? I would have to check, but I would pretty much bet money it's before. I think Song it of the is. South. I I do think it is because um, package films were a thing that Disney made as a cost saving. Forty five, so right before. Yeah, cost saving. They made those as a cost saving measure, and by many regards, actually, Song of the South is also a package film, where they would just take a series of shorts. Maybe that had been made before, or maybe that hadn't been made before, or that whatever. But they were cheaper to make even a series of shorts originally, though, rather than a feature film. They would put them together into a movie. Yeah. Well, they released the animated sequences from that movie long after they sort of vaulted the movie. Song oh, of Song of South. Yeah, because they were in the sing-alongs right. when they were kids. Well, yeah. yeah, all the sing-alongs, and that's how they kind of. I think that's where they get away with creating splash mountain yeah i mean we should we're i think we're gonna do an episode yeah, we'll on song of the south but like i have a lot of thoughts on that i think that splash mountain we, we'll get into another episode yeah but say, song of the south is another one with human animation components yeah. and then pete's dragon those are Pete's three dragon, that come to mind i'm sure there's more space jam oh space jam yeah i forgot about space jam which is that more computers that would have been 94 95 like 10 years after this movie almost they may have used computers for like plotting yeah but like not you don't think so i don't think they could have okay Unless it was like later 90s. Um, Which I don't think you get the real uh, grasp of of physical acting from Michael Jordan that you get from uh, from Bob Hoskins. No, I don't <laughs> think you do. Or Bill Murray. Um, yeah, right. Also in that movie. Yes. Uh, 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 and they remade it with LeBron, but I've never seen it. Oh, that's interesting. That was a sequel, actually, wasn't it? Was it a sequel? Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. Back in action. Other than that, I mean, like there's obviously movies, many movies throughout the years have had elements that weren't there inserted into them. But you're talking about cartoon characters inhabiting the same reality as humans. I can't. Maybe the reluctant dragon. No, nope, nope, nope. Certainly no one's done it as effectively. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is it like it was Disney's trade? Like It's yeah. kind of like their deal for a long time. Um, and it would have been Ubi Works, who was like kind of the um, one, one of Walt's earliest partners started working together with him in St. Louis. Um, Oob Iwerks is a semi forgotten or unsung hero of the history of animation. He invented the multiplane camera, which fucking game changer mm-hmm. in animation. Um, it's a crazy thing. I don't know if you know how it works or not, but like they make the backgrounds on multiple plates of glass. They layer them up vertically. They shoot down through them and they can move all these plates. And then, of course, foreground plates independently of each other, one frame at a time. And it creates an enormous sense of depth. Yeah, like parallax and all that. Parallax. You can rack focus. Which parallax is when you've got things moving at different speeds. speeds. The further away things are more stationary than things that are up close. He actually, there's a, um, the story of animation is a short, form thing that the Disney made that you can watch. It's on YouTube 
um, that they did actually as part of like the wonderful world of color or something. And he breaks down exactly how it works. There's mm-hmm. diagrams and stuff like that. And they show you like, this is what the scene would look like on a flat animating board. Mm-hmm. Here's what the same scene looks like on a multiplane. Yeah. I remember those. I, Disney World used to have a lot more how things were made, especially Universal Studios was hugely into this. Like yep. they had the whole um, uh, Hitchcock exhibit where oh. you would watch a scene of that. They recreated the shower, not the shower sequence, but one of the sequences from Psycho. Okay. And then they recreated uh, the Vertigo sequence where he falls from the was he hanging from a building or uh, Liberty bell tower in a Spanish mission in <laughs> San Francisco. Right. So they would pick someone from the audience to be the guy who oh, falls cool. and he would let go and the camera would go up and he would fall. And I mean, that's where I fell in love with all of this. Stuff. Oh, that's and so neat. I remember uh, maybe not in the backlot tour. What was the thing where the woman, I forget which actress it was. Maybe it was Bette Midler was no, it wasn't Bette Midler was like chasing a bird. There was um, a bird that like stole her newspaper, and there's this whole sequence that you see get built. Okay, we'll I'm gonna find it because I'm sure you know what it is. It's like a somebody stop that bird. Oh, it's like an old attraction. I can't. Maybe it was part of the backlot tour. Maybe it was. Uh, yeah, I, no. I don't know. Anyway, the the cameras like that and show and breaking down all of the layers of the shot. Like I remember for me in the '90s. It was there was a show called Movie Magic on Discovery Channel that I never missed. And actually, it's funny we were talking about him before. Brad, my friend, the engineer, we were both really into movies, and that was like one of our fun pastimes together. Was let's make movies yeah. with our dad's cameras. Um, but we'd like each of us we'd never miss Movie Magic, and we would like discuss them at school the next mm-hmm, day. It was mm-hmm. like, did you see how they did this? And the, blah, blah, blah. that's so cool, man. I mean, oh man, I can't believe it. Well, it's cool because we shoot miniatures. You got to slow it down and you got to do this. <laughs> the way they make the explosions so they work for timing and speed and stuff. It's really, yeah. we were very into that. Um, so yeah, that was probably my version of a little bit of what you're talking about there. Yeah. Exposure to that stuff. But now it just feels like everything's shot on big green studios. Well, I mean, that's another kind of magic. I, it is, but it's like, I don't know. I'm getting bored with it. I think that if you, I, here's what I think, man. Man. I think we spent about a hundred years developing. When you go to film school, they will explain to you that movies went backwards when sound came in. Techniques and editing, mm. cinematography, camera placement, the understanding of screen geometry, everything was better in silent films, more advanced, more developed. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden we went backwards, we went to sound and we couldn't move the cameras. It became theater. You had to be. Yeah. Because you had to have the camera first in the ice box. Right. Then you had a blimped camera that was weighed a thousand pounds. Yeah. And then you move on to like three strip technicolor. They're literally moving like a Volkswagen around to film this shit. Um and it fully took everything. Actors can't move because they've got microphones and exactly. Places. Great scene in uh, Singing in the Rain. It's fantastic. Uh, yes, yes, yes. No. I, or other way. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> I have a uh, personal theory that Singing in the Rain is the musical comedic version prequel to Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> I need to revisit well, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard is about Norma Desmond, yeah, who used right. to be a big actress in the silent days. In the days, silent days. And... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Singing in the rain is about three people conspiring to destroy the career yes. of a silent actress. Yep. Um, 
You'll never work in this town again. (laughs) That's how it ends. (laughs) So, Um, yeah. So, okay. So, where they had all this freedom and we're learning how to like. Right. Thank you for getting me back on track. So, we went backwards in terms of that. And then we spent all of that time learning film language Mm -hmm. all over again. Geometry. Because the cameras got smaller, lighter. You could work faster, Mm -hmm. you know. And then you get to a place where we have moving. I don't know. We just have. I think it was better in a lot of ways. And then we now move into this world where everything is on a green screen and everything mm-hmm. is digital. And yes, we could be moving the camera, but I think that what we have learned is a new, what directors and filmmakers and editors have learned is a new film language. Just the way that they stage, compose, edit things, let actors work together, the geometry of scenes that is inferior to the film language we had just perfected. Well, it's quicker, easier, makes more money. Yeah. I think I don't think it's that we can't do those things anymore. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think you they can take use those more time, more pre-production, yeah. more resources. And that's also a thing I've heard too. Is that like you know, since all these movies are like these green screen movies, you can't really work on the script and develop the script and work with the actors the way you used to because you have to lock a hundred percent of your visual effects shots like a year before you start filming, and mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And like I forget it was somebody was breaking down like a movie is eighteen months of work. It has to be 18 months of work for whatever, you know, every movie is made this way. And it used to be that, you know, you have three months or two months of production, this many months of post-production, whatever. Now, in order to get the movie done in time and all the rest of it was like working with the actors, mm-hmm. figuring out the blocking, mm-hmm. the script, and you could figure that out up until the day you shot. But now all of that has to be figured out in a month yeah. and done so that the post people, the animators, the effects people can start working on the shots that needed to be decided eight months ago. That go into the movie later that won't right. you know won't be filmed. Well, and you've made this point before, and uh, Rachel has made this point before that now editors are directors. Oh yeah, and then you've got the extreme of that with reality television, where that's actually true because oh, they yeah. just got a bunch of footage and they're creating story in the editing room. But I do think that it's also more common for narrative film to be sort of the same. We get every angle, we get every shot, and then the editor makes the movie. Whereas, like, you think about this movie. And the directing that is happening in this movie. Yes. There is nobody is moving a camera in a way or taking a shot that isn't intentionally planned out right. ahead of time. It's not happening. And no editor is recutting a scene to make it work because the performances weren't good or because yep. they didn't get the right coverage. It's, it's it can't happen in this it's movie. The way it's it impossible. Is. It's got to put together the way it was. Yeah. I mean, certainly editing has always been an art. And there is a lot of happening in the editing. Sure. I think that it has shifted, you know, maybe it was 50 50. Yeah. But now I do think that it's a lot more editing than directing. And I mean, just think about it when we were going to film school, which was at that kind of transition time, they had to drill into our heads leave yourselves options in the edit. Yeah. Shoot more coverage mm-hmm. than you think mm-hmm. you need mm-hmm. because the de facto norm was to shoot it the way you knew to build it and you would leave yourself no options Mm -hmm. or maybe not enough options. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the norm is shoot the shit out of it. Just shoot everything. Yeah. Also, because so much is relying on the special effects, your animators are directing performances, I think. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of times the directors just wait to see stuff and then approve or disapprove. I think they don't really know how the animation works. They don't know the stages of special effects. They're not getting on the phone with those companies and saying, this is what I need this character to be like, look, yeah. like, feel like they're saying, well, just show me stuff and I'll say yes or no. There are very few people working who could do every job on set mm-hmm. as a director. And I, I'm going to fawn over Cameron again, but like a lot of people will say that's how Cameron or no, sorry. Yes, Cameron. But I've heard this about Ridley Scott mm. is that like Ridley Scott 
you know, at the time things were different. You're now I think people are actually much more technical in a lot of ways, but like Ridley Scott at the time, it was like really novel. Uh, I have heard a cinematographer saying like, you know, I work with other people and every other director I work with, they say, I would like this to be, they describe what the feel should be. I want mm -hmm. it to be like a little this way. I want it to feel like that. I want this to be dreamier. I want you to have this kind of a focus or something like that. And they would look at it and they would say, okay, that's good. Or maybe we need it more like this. Can we get that into the frame? Can we get that out of the frame? Ridley Scott comes in. He says, I want a 35 millimeter open to 4.5 mm. on a uh, 120 degree shutter. And I need the camera there. And I need you to have that be your focal plane. Like he super, 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 mm -hmm. super planned out and technical. And I, I think Cameron is probably the same way as well. Mm -hmm. um, amongst others, just the two names that are at the top of my head. Um, and maybe that is more and more the norm because you have much more access to these tools and you can practice and learn these things than you used to be able to. It was much more mysterious. It was a dark art. You know, I mean, you talk about working sound on a Nagra on the, and getting mm -hmm. crystal sync audio and stuff like that and trying to explain, like, it'd be weird for someone who's not a sound guy to know how all that shit works. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Crystal sync is old school yeah. way of getting before time code, how you would synchronize audio to picture on set so that it would lock up easy because otherwise it would drift just so that we're clear, you know, in analog days, your camera is a clockwork mechanism. Is it really shooting 24 frames a second? Yeah. <laughs> it might be 24 and a half sometimes it might be 25 sometimes you know it right. wanders a little bit you have a analog tape recorder it's got a battery powered motor in it is it always running the same speed i don't know you know you might not hear the difference in pitch as it wanders and stuff like that but if it wanders it'll float out of sync with your picture right and so crystal synchronization was a mechanism by which there was a piece of quartz like in a quartz watch that would Somehow, and I don't know. I just, I just know that it was how it, that it did it. I don't know how it did it. Help synchronize the motors together so they all ran at the same speed. And like that's what I'm saying. It's like it's just like arcane forms of art. Yeah, you know, dark arts here. It's a wizardry. Yeah, yeah. Movie wizards. Movie wizards. Picture wizards. Well, and this is like this made me miss DVD extras a lot because this oh, is a yeah. movie that you watch and just think how, 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 how. I want DVD extras really bad. Yes. I want them. That was like a thing for me for a long time. I would watch a movie mm -hmm. and I finish it at 11 o'clock at night or whatever. This is what I, this is how I spent my nights when I was a young man uh -huh. with a, with a healthy social life. <laughs> and then you'd go into the DVD extras. I would immediately yeah. watch the exact same movie again with the director's commentary. The commentary. On. Yeah. I think the last movie I did that with was drive. I can't remember the last time I listened to Cause it's the last time I had the ability to. Yeah. Commentaries are awesome. Yeah. They're you really learned cool. so many things about the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just like fun trivia and stuff. That's where, I mean, most of, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was going to say there, but it's a sad thing to to lose. That's where, I mean, behind the ears was was a DVD extra. Yep. I think there's a whole, I mean, there is a whole generation of filmmakers that really learned and mm -hmm. artisans, you know, just crafts people in the biz who learn movies from DVDs. Mm -hmm. And now you, I don't think you can anymore. I don't know that. Do they put these things online? Can you see these things? Some I don't it, think so. I was looking for a lot of it when we did the Dungeons and Dragons just to yeah. see because a lot of that did feel more like puppetry than mo most movies. And I found somewhere that there was quite sure. a bit of puppetry, but you don't get these shots of what everything looked like broken down. Like no. I couldn't find a behind the scenes and all the behind the scenes stuff I found was just like actors telling funny stories about things that happen. Yeah, exactly. They're more promotional materials. Yes. It was also at the time it was just like, well, DVDs have all the space on them. We got to put stuff on there right. to sell it. Right. right. Yeah. You know, what, how are we going to get people to stop Leaded buying VHSs? Yeah. VHSs didn't have that room for that. Um, yeah. 
the uh, and I remember too, also in film school, it was like common wisdom, like, oh, if you're trying to break into directing, see if you can get into uh, directing behind the scenes mm. featurettes. Right, that's true. That's like over now. That's a job that doesn't exist. <laughs> Meredith pouts. Oh no. Yeah, that's that's sad. I mean, you have YouTube. We could have be. It could be huge promotional materials. Yeah, this stuff. But I guess it's. Yeah. I guess no one cares. Nobody cares. They, they've got their hype cycles figured out yeah. at the time it was a value add on a product that was making them a lot of money it sure. wasn't a promotional thing right like it was literally a way to get people to buy this instead of the vhs well and you could re-release dvds with more extended features yep. and map the price and and a lot of that stuff is still on blu-ray if you get a blu-ray you will find some of that stuff most people don't bother to buy buy buy, buy blu-rays blu-rays are way better quality than anything you're going to stream by the way yeah if you have a big screen like i have a projector so we have like a 200 inch screen when we watch movies yeah and you watch something streamed off of Netflix versus the Blu-ray of it. The Netflix, you're going to see all the fucking H.264 artifacting. You're going to see where the color space is gone, right. where you get like blockiness and like banding. Ribboning. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The Blu-ray will not have that. It will be a, it's a significantly higher fidelity image. Um, so if you care about that shit, mm-hmm. get yourself some Blu-rays. You don't have to watch them off the disc. You can build yourself a server like I have. And I just store them on a hard drive and yeah. watch them off the server. Did you hear it recently across the universe, the new Spider-Man movie? Oh, wow. They sent okay. out, they, they, there was something wrong with the sound mix and they re like, uh, remixed it, rebalanced it, balanced yep. is where I was looking for and, and sent it back out to all the theaters. Cause they're doing digital deliveries yep. to theaters mm-hmm. now. Yeah, exactly. When you said across the universe, I thought you meant that Beatles musical that I didn't <laughs> like. Uh, Julie Taymor's Beatles musical. Yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> I love Julie Taymor. I'm not big on the Beatles anyway. So yeah. Um, <laughs> tracks, I guess. Yeah, sure. That tracks, I guess. More of a Stones guy, okay. <laughs> I need my chauvinism. An endearing piece of trivia that I read that I just want to say. I might scan more trivia, but I, this just warmed my heart. So Bob Hoskins said that for two weeks after seeing the movie, his young son wouldn't talk to him, and he finally asked him, like, why? Uh, why he's not talking to him? His son said his, he couldn't believe his father would work with cartoon characters such as Bugs Bunny and not let him meet them, which speaks to brutal though. Because then you got to tell how old is a kid for? Like uh, yeah. he's not real. <laughs> he's so awful to wreck that magic. Maybe you can get around that somehow for a little while. But like, what a compliment on honestly to Bob Hoskins that you made something that was so yeah. real for that kid. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, it's funny. You got to watch. We have to watch the long uh, the the long Good Friday. Mm-hmm. So you can see Bob Hoskins, who he was before he was Eddie Valiant. Yeah. Some range there. Really? All oh, I, all yeah. I, could, I was like, where have I seen this guy? Where have I seen this guy? And it was me. You could also, I think he's in, no, the cook, the wife or thief for lover is not. That's uh Michael Gambon. That's a different. Yeah. Guy. There's a whole tradition of like British gangsta movies from the seventies and eighties. But uh, yeah. Different guy, huh? Long Good Friday. Is, um, maybe Alan you Mirren. won't remember this off the top of your head. Helen Mirren's in it. (laughs) Helen Mirren has a moment in that movie that I think is one of the finest things I've ever seen an actor do. Oh, you've, you've described this, but describe it. Yeah. It's just, it's the realest shit I've ever seen, I think. But so we'll do that movie. (laughs) Okay. You're not going to talk about it now. No, it was way, way, way off topic. Okay. Well, incredible movie. You've got to see it if you haven't seen it. One of the most. It's great that it's a great movie. Yes. It's not just a technical masterpiece. Because you could really. Like, I think Dune is a technical masterpiece. That yeah. It's not a great movie. I liked Dune. The new Dune? I don't like Villa the New. 
I think I've come to the conclusion I'm not into his films. I liked the new Dune quite a lot. I think he makes very boring. It was it was slow art pieces well. that belong at the Museum of Modern Art. There was enough. I was I didn't remember sitting in the theater feeling like, oh, my God, another long shot. I thought it was. Beautiful. I also don't like the book. I'm not like a Dune okay. guy. It's not your thing. No, it was like one of those books where I got to like the I got 90 percent through it and I decided I'm going to put it down and I like my life improved. I felt yeah. better <laughs> for my for it. Um, Fair enough. Don't make yourself miserable. No, There's it was no reason. really bumming me out that um, book. But yet you could very easily get lost in the look at what we can do aspect yes. of this movie and forget the story. But there is no beat that is just gratuitous. It all builds the story. I'm going to modify that slightly mm-hmm. because we already talked about hitting the lamp. So there's a lot of gratuitous animation in it for the purpose of just showing off. But in every scene, the the like mm-hmm. it's not a gratuitous scene. No, no, you need every scene. Yeah, but there's fine. You could probably shorten that scene, sure, but not really. No, 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 no. no. I'm just saying you didn't have to hit the lamp. Oh, oh, sure, yeah. That's all I'm saying. But that's great being that's able to marry that with the story it, and make it, it all work together. And now I'm gonna push back on myself. <laughs> hitting the lamp more perfectly cements these fictional characters into reality. It makes it work. It's not yeah. without motivation. It's not just showing. Them. Yeah. Oh, they had a, there was another shot they talked about mm. where they rack focus from Jessica Rabbit after he puts she puts Roger into the trunk and we go soft focused on her and rack to through the window where you've got Valiant and okay. what's the owner of the RK Maroon Maroon talking yeah. and how they created like how they had to just like play with different pieces of plastic that they sort of put over that part of the scene to make her blurry. Oh, really? Yeah. They I couldn't think, just do it on a multiplane. I don't think they did because they kept oh. talking about they were like they were basically talking about themselves in a state of delirium at that point. Mm. Just like playing with different things to put in front of yeah. the frame to make it work. Oh, I can see why you'd have to do it that way. No, that makes sense. Now I'm thinking about it. I was like, well, what I would do is I would right. do, I would proje- reproject the film onto the bottom plane of a multiplane camera, put her in the foreground. And then, yeah. but you can't do that because then you'd be defocused on the thing you're shooting at the bottom, the actual frame of the film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You have to do it that way. I mean, there's not a shot in this movie that doesn't need a team of people sitting in a room saying, how do we do this? How are we going to do this? How do we? <laughs> how are we going? And that's so much fun if you've ever been in that yeah. room. Um, I had like maybe one experience like that. It was when I was working on the. Uh, I forget. It was one of the things I did at IF, and oh. I had to explain to somebody that like lenses don't work like that. Oh, it was um, Moynihan, probably. Yeah. Because we that yes. was shot wrong. Yes. And it was curved. Oh. And it needed to be flat. That was another one too. Yeah. No, that was another one too. Yeah. 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 Now I'm thinking about one where it was like the camera's going to pull out. And I was like, but you can't pull out from three places at once because <laughs> it was like a suit. It was for the Oculus. It was like a hundred oh, okay. thousand foot screen. And there was like three different locuses that we were pulling out of at the same time. Oh, geez. And I was just like, how yeah, do you want me to do the math here, guys? Because yeah. it was like a, it was a After Effects thing. Yeah. I remember working with one of the directors. I won't name him there. Um, a lot. He was one that liked to try and create these projects sort of out of and like other ways to do things and he was really fun to work with because you just find yourself there late at night like that's so fun (laughs) i mean yes sometimes no but like if you're into trying to figure out a thing with someone and you're like okay we're gonna try and put images against i remember it was like we were trying to shoot through glass in interesting ways and have like old images shot through glass i know this director yes and we were just playing with and it was like the first time since school i think at that point in my professional career that i just like hung out with someone for a couple of hours and tried to achieve a thing. I was going to say, 
in all of that weird math stuff I had to do with that, you know, with Moynihan, with the other stuff there, I was talking about the Cinefix things. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of After Effects work. I did a lot of 3D stuff in After Effects. You know, I did some compositing. I can't tell you how many times I did the most, like I took the tool of After Effects, mm -hmm. which is a 3D compositing and motion graphics animate, uh, tool. It's, it's light compositing. It's not nodal compositing. It's layer compositing. And I'm talking over a lot of the audience's head right now, but that's okay. But, but in a lot of ways, it's more like working with older school techniques, like mm -hmm. an actual roto board with a multiplane camera. The number of times when I had like, oh shit, the motion tracker can't work on this or, oh shit. There's no way I need to animate that background against this object that they spun in the foreground and I need the math to work out so that our perspective shifts in exactly the right way that I was able to reach back to something I had read in Cinefix from an article in 1983 and been able to be like, I know how to do that mm -hmm. and just replicate a rig in a 3D compositing program that was exactly like, you know, Isn't some Isn't that the argument tool. for Avid too, that it acts more like... Oh, I don't know. I've never worked film it. cutting than yeah. than Premiere or Final Cut did. Maybe I never learned yeah. it. It might be true. I don't know. The, this is where yeah, I am not the computer technical person. I know a lot of the language because I worked right. with the artists and well, that's not me saying that After Effects had that ability. It's me saying that like knowing how they used to do it before a computer allowed me to do that's it better I mean, with a computer. Yeah, that's what or that's, to, that's what I yeah to, understand to draw on those techniques about Avid. I remember there was like a description of like how. We had to, it was like the, it was the shot from the land speeder looking forward out the windshield when he's flying over the snow. And he was like, and I had to track, we had to do motion tracking of that ground so that I could put these like laser blasts and have them track against the ground so that they moved mm. with the flying of the spaceship. And they were using this stuff called go motion as opposed to stop motion. So in stop motion, Everything moves and you take a picture. Everything moves and you take a picture. In go motion, while it's moving, you take a picture, like a mm. longer exposure so that you can get motion blur when you build it all up. So you can really get the sensation of something really moving fast. Mm. And he's like, because of this, this, and this, and this, everything that we would have done to track that was impossible. So ultimately what I did was I projected the scene onto like a, um, what's that? A movieola. Mm -hmm. And I built a gun sight in front of the movieola and I locked my chin in and I lined it up and I had like some transfer paper and I was able to like track actual dots on the, Wild. on the thing one frame at a time. And then we were able to use that to do the second rig that we had to animate. Wow! And so it was like that specifically. And I, I forget now exactly what I had to do, but it was like something where I was like, okay, cool. I can manually track this because I know how he did that. I can fix this track that will not be fixed any other way. And I'll never forget that it worked perfect. I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, because I had to spend all day on it. And you don't know if it's going to work or not. Right. Yeah. It was like, victories are yeah, incredible. hell yeah, man. <laughs> Thank you guys. Name I can't remember from Cinefix 1984, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, advice, you know, learn the old ways. <laughs> yeah. Respect the old gods. Well. This has been Midnight Local. Yeah. I think we we talked the shit out of this movie, but if you haven't seen it, please go see it. And also, sorry for it, the spoilers. Well, yeah, but I mean, you've had 30 years. Or 40. 40. Oh, my God. I know. No, not yet. 88. Uh, not yet. 98, 08, 18. I was born in 85. I'm not 40 yet. Okay, well, fuck <laughs>
<laughs> Getting I, there. I was born We're in coming 83. Up on Definitely more than 30, but not yet 40. Born in 83. Yeah. It's my year. Congrats. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. <laughs> uh, thank you to Annie Villalobos for producing and editing the podcast. Uh, yes, absolutely. Lovely Annie Villalobos. Thank you. And to Studio 71. And to Studio 71. For being a partner in this journey. and our distribution partner. for And to Heather Vaughn for doing her artwork. Heather Vaughn one of those makes beautiful, wonderful art. She, she does. It's great things. And um, uh, you're welcome to Epidemic Sound. For yeah, you're fucking welcome, Epidemic. For spending money at your website. Enjoy the bucks. Sp- <laughs> Don't spend it all in one place now. <laughs> you young whippersnapper, get out of here.